Presents ideas mainstream media won't. It's the leading source of local, national and international news analysis and discussion and debate to strengthen the anti-capitalist movements. It exposes the lies and distortions of the power brokers and helps us to better understand the world around us. Good morning, listeners. Uh, A cold and a wet morning out there. Um, I hope you are nice and warm. Of course, this is Green Life Weekly Radio. And a good morning to everyone who is uh, keeping warm and also those who are on their way to work. I'm here on my own at the moment because um, Jacob, who normally appears on the show, is caught up with a train accident. And he's on the Bell Street line somewhere. So let's hope it turns up soon. Now, let's start with uh, paying our respects to the traditional owners of the land, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. This land was never ceded. And we do live on stolen land. Um, and I hope um, people are appraised of uh, Aboriginal issues that are happening at the moment across the nation. The, the discussion for the, for the um, issue around constitution is still being discussed. And I will update you with a little bit of news about the statement that um, the community has released later on. Now, we've got a packed program, but I am not so so sure how smooth it's going to be because the computer looks a little bit warped, um, and I have no one here to help me out, but we will start off with, um, of course, the news. Um, I'm not sure which is more important. Um, Alan Finkel having released a report, and some leaks have suggested that he has declared that renewable energy is to be the cheapest. So that's going to, that's, that has thrown the cat among the pigeons, so to speak. And, um, we have to see what is going to happen with the, at the COAG meeting that's coming up, um, in relation to, um, energy and the way it's going to be delivered in terms of price, in terms of, um, re- relationship with what they call the stable supply of energy. And that always, amuses me when they talk about um, a stable energy supply. They talk about this all the time, especially the, the um, owners of energy companies and those who have a stake in it, but they never talk about stable employment. The contradiction is glaring, and yet nobody talks about it. It always amuses me to think that you know, a stable energy is important for industry to run, but a stable job... Stable income is not important for people to have a stress, at least a partially stress-free life. It, um, it's quite interesting to observe the way conversations run and they get carried away with the issue at hand and not step back to look at the broader implications of what they are saying. But that's one issue. Of course, the other burning issue is the British elections, and that's bubbling away there. Um, we should be getting some of the exit polls coming in. Apparently, they were have, they have known to be reasonably accurate. And I'm hoping to interview um, someone who is uh, well up on um, the shenanigans of what's happening there. A couple of people uh, at hand to comment on it. The exit poll should be just coming in. It's just past seven here. 
the voting would have closed in uh, the UK and the all sorts of predictions go flying left, right and centre. So we shall see what's happening. So lots of news to, to catch up on. And I'm really hoping that um, Jacob will be here to give me the number of the person who is going to comment on this. Now, um, I'm going to go into some of the news that is at hand in the latest Green Life Weekly. And we can, we can only hope that your, uh, Jacob turns up. If you give the number, I can do it, but I'm waiting. Okay, the, um, there's news in New South Wales that we, ne- we hardly hear about. Um, there's an article here that talks about the Walla 3 test in New South Wales, anti-protest laws. Three protesters charged under a new section of the New South Wales Crimes Act have pleaded not guilty at a preliminary hearing in Mudgee on the 17th of May. The Walatri are challenging the draconian new law aimed at criminalizing those who protest at coal and gas mine sites. If convicted, they could face a maximum penalty of seven years jail. So this is prominent and significant for all of us because if they can do it to one group of people in one part of our country, then they can emulate it all over the country. So we have been through various types of criminalization here where the Melbourne City Council criminalized homelessness not long ago. So let's hope that this is not going to spread around the world. So this is even worse, in fact, in some ways, because the winners here would be the mining companies and the gas companies, because they are the ones who are wanting so badly to dig up the earth. And there are lots of people, traditional people and non-Aboriginal people who are totally against it. In fact, majority, from what we understand, are against it. So the three people who who have been protested and have been arrested are Bev Smiles, Bruce Hughes and Stephanie Luke. And they are being defended by the Environmental Defenders Office. And they want to challenge the law. So it's the Wilpinjong coal mine owned by the Peabody Coal from the USA, of course, has been operating in Walla District near Maji in the Midwestern New South Wales for 10 years. So for all this time, um, they've destroyed the Walla community through its noise, toxic fumes by um, Peabody's buy-up of local properties. And the thing that always strikes me in these issues is that they use the creation of jobs as an excuse for this type of destructive industry. Um, Nobody ever thinks about the amount of money spent on subsidizing subsidizing these companies, whether it is direct subsidy or indirect subsidy. And there's always um, a convenient ignoring of the fact that most of these jobs are temporary. And when you do the sums, I wonder if the wages given to by these companies, usually a measly wage to the workers, when you compare it to the subsidies they create and the profits they make, how the maths works out, I'd love to do the calculations. So that's something to keep in mind. That's um, a lot of issues bundled up in one, the environment, uh, the rights of people to protest, and the rights of companies to be able to pollute the, la- the land. So that's one issue. So another article is written by Bob Main, and this is the um, interesting phenomena of ex-state premiers and finance industries 
seem to be getting caught up with um, large corporations for a large salary, I'd say. Um, and it's, it's always, you know, um, out of bounds of Parliament and the Anti-Corruption Agency when ex-parliamentarians get very cushy jobs with very large companies for very large salaries. So here we have Anna Bly, who took on the leadership of the Australian Bankers Association, and then there's Mike Bad, who moved to NAB in a senior executive role, and now Nathan Reese has become the National Assistant Secretary of the Finance Sector Union. You don't have to be a genius to work out. There's something not right about this whole um, invasion of large um, or, or very highly played positions by ex-politicians. So here we have the bank levy announced in the tech bu- uh, budget last month is certainly a small victory for our side. It's a levy of 0.06%, which is minuscule, really, um, and that's of the licensed um, entity liabilities, which will make the four big banks pay a total of $6.2 billion over four years, which is nothing compared to the enormous profits they've made in total. Now, there are a few contradictions in the bank levy that we need to get out of our heads. $6.2 billion over four years may sound a lot, but since the banks have made a combined profit of $30 billion um, last year, we could expect their combined profits to be Hang on, let's, let's try that again. Um, 6.2 billion over four years may sound a lot, but since the banks made a combined profit of 30 billion last year, we could expect their combined profits to be 120 billion over the four years. Yep, that's simple maths, four times 6.2. Um, asking 6.2 billion out of 120 billion is nothing, for them at least. Um, and the bank levy would be able to deduct, be deducted as a pre-tax expense, making it even easier for the banks. So this is quite an interesting um, article. So if you want to read the article in full, yeah, you'll have to get the paper. Um, and, of course, subscriptions are available. And there is a sub-drive um, being launched. Uh, and if you want to um, subscribe, j- just go to the website. It's greenleftweekly.com. Um, and before I move on, I just want to play a um, station ID. And as you know, 3CI is having um, a radiothon. We too at uh, 3CI need, um, as the alternative radio, need a money. And if I can find the announcement, here we go. Over trade or sovereignty and because recognition, it's not something that we haven't just turned up, so we don't need recognition in that sense. We've been here the whole time. Treaty, from my understanding, from my old people, is end to the war, end to our suffering, and a chance for two sovereigns to sit down and negotiate a settlement. A settlement also acknowledges what's happened to our people over the last 200 plus years. So we can't be talking about a treaty. It's not a treaty process. It's got to have international scrutiny. We're just asking these criminals to, to determine the outcomes of the crimes that they've committed. 3CR, Radio for Change.
Green Left Weekly Annual Comedy Debate with Rod Quantock is on again. Saturday, June the 17th at the Brunswick Town Hall. MC extraordinaire Rod Quantock will host two teams of comedians debating whether fake news is real news. Comedians include Sean Bedlam, Gabe Hogan, Shirley Hood, Kirsty Mack, Morven Smith and Pauline Fartson Hellchild. The Green Left Weekly Annual Comedy Debate, Saturday, June the 17th at the Brunswick Town Hall, corner Sydney Road and Dawson Street, Brunswick. Doors open at 6.30pm. For bookings, go to trybooking.com forward slash Q-A-E-N or call 9639-8622. That's 9639-8622, a 3CR supporter. In 2016, 3CR published a book to celebrate the station's 40th birthday. Years in the making, Radical Radio, celebrating 40 years of 3CR, is a visually stunning account of the people and ideas that make up this dynamic station. At 300 pages, the book includes hundreds of images and over 50 features on programs, people, music and technology from across the decades. You can get your copy of 3CR's book for $49.50 at the station during business hours at 21 Smith Street, Fitzroy. Or online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Get a piece of your own history. 3CR's Radical Radio is available now. Okay, let's um, have another look at um, the article that I mentioned before in terms of Aboriginal um, issues. So, Sorry Day came and went, and there is a little article here written by Peter Boyle. It's titled, Sorry Means You Don't Do It Again. And that is an interesting thing, because as we know, um, or if you haven't caught up with it, the reality is more children live out of home care, or live in out of home care among the Aboriginal community than ever before in the history of this nation, uh, or the history of the white invaders nation, rather. And this has been a real thorn in the side of the Aboriginal community. So this is what Boyle says. Sorry is commemorate on the 26th of May, the anniversary of the tabling of the Bringing Them Home report. This year was the 20th anniversary of the report of inquiry into so-called stolen generation. A symptomatic, a systematic removal of Aboriginal children from their families. In 2008, of course, um, Kevin Rudd made an apology. But the problem is, um, since that apology, removal of Aboriginal children has increased by a staggering 400%. And on the evening of the May, of May 26, a powerful and moving grassroots organization, Sorry Day, Sorry Day March, was wound its way from Victoria Park through Broadway in, in Sydney. Um, survivors of the stolen generation shared their heartbreaking stories. It's always a difficult day for the Aboriginal community. And um, it's mentioned briefly on, on news, but you have to be among the community to understand and really feel the sadness and the absolute agony of loss of their children. And um, it was celebrated here, too, in um, Melbourne. So let's look at another piece of news. 
So one thing that, that doesn't get um, a lot of publicity is the childhood educators. Um, we have have we had a big steps campaign, which has been mounted by United Voice, the union covering early childhood educators, and um, they have announced a ballot for more than of more than three thousand educators that voted 95% to escalate their equal pay campaign. And this has been going for a few months now, and nobody seems to care about this fight back. And I guess it's partly because the industry is like a 99% women industry, um, and it's not affecting the major industry. So that is perhaps part of the equation here. The union says that educators are paid less than men with similar qualifications because of the outdated um, notion that children, childcare is viewed as women's work at home. So the gender issue comes up again. Um, and at the other end of the scale, we have this attack on pensioners, which um, it was a campaign um, launched by FAGO for pensioners. It's a coalition. Um, it's, there was a rally um, in late March on the 24th, and the main, con- the main concerns were the change to the pensioners' asset test attacking attacks on Medicare, the threat, uh, threat to pharmaceutical benefits, and a reduction on the right to overseas travel. The, the, the rally also addressed issues faced by the unemployed on New Start. So this battle has been also going for a, a long time. George Zangalis from the Federation of Greek Elderly Citizens Clubs called on the Victorian government to use its budget surplus to help pensioners with gas and electricity bills and rent. He also called on the federal government to raise the age pension to 35% of average male weekly earnings, which is astounding because people here really... Um, have enormous problems with meeting their needs financially. And um, if you're a retiree, why is it that you earn so little from the government after you've worked all your life, paid your taxes and so on? It's, um, it's absolutely criminal. Okay, so I think Jacob has just arrived, and we want to go to the interview with um, someone who is um, keeping up with um, what's happening in the um, British elections. But... Before we go and do that, I want to talk to you about Geelong Trades Hall um, has been very brave um, in um, saying that family violence is underpaid by gendered inequality and a major contribution, contributing factor to gendered inequality and financial inequality. That's hmm. a petition, a bit of a double whammy. But... The working class families rely on the few extra bucks that penalty rates bring in. So it's all about penalty rates. So unions, unionists held a protest in favor of penalty rates on the 27th of May outside the Liberal member for uh, Corangamite. Her name is Sarah Henderson. And it's in her electorate that this protest was held. We are here today to tell Sarah Henderson that the community here in Geelong and Corangamite values penalty rates. And the difference, difference penalty rate makes to our incomes, our lives, our abilities to participate in our communities and our abilities to care for our children. So here's a person who's a single mom saying that, contrary to what the Liberal government would have you believe about me, the life I lead, I am 
tertiary educated. I have always been full-time employment, always contributed to my community, and my three children are all tertiary educated. My two girls are university graduates, and my son is successfully self-employed. All three kids had retail and hospitality jobs from the time they were 16. So this goes on and talks about the difficulties faced by people because of the penalty cuts in, in people's wage rates. It affects the whole family and it's not um, something that is, as purported by the government, a very simple issue. Although um, we have to say they're having problems with uh, bringing it in and they're trying to um, bring it over four years because there's enormous amount of adjustments that have been made. And let's hope that these policies will be outdated before that four years is up. So, um, let's see. I think Jacob is ready to roll here. Good morning, Jacob. Yeah, good morning. <laughs> How are you? Yeah, I'm good. A bit flustered. <laughs> Appar- um, yeah, I usually take the train and apparently some, the Flemington excavator, excavator. collapsed or something. Um, I'm not sure. I hope it's not that Flemington Bridge. <laughs> um, but yeah, basically, yeah, the upfield line was, yeah, just not, no trains are running. Okay, people should know that. If you're traveling on that line, be aware there's a problem and you're keen to start on the, on the interview. Yes, so we okay, have cool. Stuart Monkton, um, who is, uh, editor of Green Left Weekly and he is here, uh, we probably would have preferred to interview him after the elect, after we know the full election result, but because Next week is the radiophone. We won't really have opportunity to talk about. It. We saw, oh, we might as well. And people are probably on a high right now about the British elections, so we might as well have kind of a lengthy discussion about the British elections. And um, it's been all over the news. And and given there's so many people here from the UK, I guess it's appropriate that we do talk about it. Good morning, Stuart. Hi. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I hope it's warmer than here. It's freezing down here. Oh, that's about <laughs> pretty similar, I think. <laughs> okay, and, and, and the news has been running hot with yeah. the UK elections. Then they're saying that the exit polls would be yeah. saying something at seven. What what have you got? Uh, the exit polls, looking at the, the BBC and others, uh, basically probably <laughs> about the average of the polls or, or the more positive side of the polls that were there, which is... If these exit polls are true, it looks like the Tories won't form a majority. Yes. And that, <laughs> and that Labour Party under, under Jeremy Corbyn will have done significantly better. Uh, bear in mind, these are exit polls, and polls are, can be very, very wrong. Yep. Uh, but if this, if this holds up, then it looks like Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn and his break with austerity will have won uh, you know, 30 or more seats above what Ed Miliband ben won. And combined with the SNP, who look like, according to exit polls, that, they've, they've, that the Tories have made some gains against them in Scotland, and with possibly, if you include the Liberal Democrats being willing to to um, allow a Labour minority government, then you're actually looking more or less neck and neck with, ni- with neither the Tories nor Labour plus other centre to the left or to the left parties um, combined having uh, having a majority. So basically, is it um, a hung parliament? Is that what? Well, uh, but, yeah, this, this is what the exit polls suggest. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is what the exit polls suggest. Yeah. Well, um, now that's what they suggest. But I guess one thing I kind of wanted to ask you now, which would be a good logical sort of, and is um basically this whole basically what is the chances of you know what is what is the political argument that Labor is making for refusing yeah. to enter consider a coalition with the SNP for example even or even the Liberal Democrats um, 
Well, there's two different things. One is uh, one is a co- entering a coalition. The other would be attempting to govern as a minority party, which would require support on a, you know certain bills that are essential to government, um, probably you know budget related uh, type types of things. Uh, I think that's versus actually trying to enter a coalition government. Uh, and I, I think that, you know, obviously it was proposed ahead, and I think there's, there's two separate things. There's the idea of a progressive alliance, which is the way it's mostly talked about. Uh, and then there's also the concept of an anti-austerity alliance, which, which the Liberal Democrats may probably, you know, wouldn't necessarily be included or would only be included if they agreed to certain things. Uh, I think it's complicated by the fact that Labor has a unionist position on, on Scotland, uh, and the SNP uh, want a second second referendum. So I think on both sides, an actual coalition there is a bit more complicated. But it does sort of show. I think I think it's it's part of and, and the Corbyn team uh, have always ruled this out. They've never said that they would do anything anything different. And I think it's part of heading the project of heading a party like the Labor Party, which is an, a huge electoral machine, very cynical machine. Um, despite the very principal politics of Corbyn and his team, to even try and head that machine at all involves a whole lot of compromises, including just emphasising that they will do the best thing for Labor electorally. What the best thing for Labor electorally is isn't necessarily the, exactly the same as... You know, if you're, not, if you're not wedded to Labor in itself, but to a project uh, outside of it, then it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, the Greens get the, whole, get the votes or Labor gets the votes or, you know, you know an SNP committed to breaking with austerity to some extent gets the votes as long as it all adds up. But if you're heading the Labor machine, it does probably matter. And that's, I think, what drives the Corbyn team uh, to emphasise that, I think it's part of the fact that the contradiction of this, of of a, of a, a very left uh, team at the head of, you know, with, with support of uh, the members uh, who who want a different type of politics, wedded to a machinery that is incapable, you know, it, to, to a certain extent, it is, is incapable of doing politics differently. Mm. I think one of the things that we need to um, perhaps um, discuss so that listeners are aware is. Um, even, you know, going into these elections, Labour wasn't in a position to um, place their people um, as candidates because the existing um, MPs who have been very hostile, a lot of them have been very hostile to Corbyn, yes. have an automatic right to stand in lecture. And that process, I think we should, we should unpick a little bit, Stuart, what do you think? Mm. Yeah, look, I think that that's a very important point, and... Uh, if Corbyn, if the Labor Party significantly increases its 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 showing while the Tories are denied uh, a majority, it has to be said that that's an achievement under quite incredible circumstances. Given, as you say, like the large amounts of the the, the MPs are hostile to to Corbyn, and most of the machinery is hostile to to Corbyn, and have been sabotaging him all the way. Uh, it was. To some extent, once the campaign got going, it was toned down. But even in recent days, you've seen the hard right, the, the Blairites come out in the middle of a campaign and threaten to remove Corbyn um, unless he, you know, uh, you know, unless he wins more votes than the Tories, which you know I think don't think any poll any poll suggested, and, and Labor obviously hasn't done mm. since 2005. Mm. Um, I think it's an incredible achievement against those odds and against the hostility of 
of, of the media to perform as well as Corbyn has. And it's a testimony to the fact that actually the, the idea that he is unelectable it isn't true. He can actually significantly improve Labor's, cha- Labor's standing uh, with one hand tied behind his back mm. because he's, you know, and, and we have to say it's because it's, you know, he's leading and he's been pushed, you know, stands at the head of, you know, a, a tide of uh, ordinary people, uh, particularly young people who are, are sick of sick of the status quo and have responded to Corbyn's call for a break with the status quo. Hmm. That's amazing because um, that I, I don't know how he's doing it, you know, at his age and so on. Um, it's just awful. Think about the fact that the machine has has disengaged so many people from the political processes. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a guy who was being interviewed and he was saying, look, I, I voted six times in these elections. Nothing's changed. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is your chance to change. Why don't yeah. you go and vote? <laughs> I feel like shaking him but sitting here watching the thing. Yeah. This is the, the apathy that the um, the election machine has created out there, and the fact that you know Blair still is um, you know can be classified as a war criminal for all the things he did to the Middle East. Um, I, I I'm, I'm astounded by the enormous uh, gains that Corbyn leadership has brought to this Labour Party. Um, I, I just wondered if you could fill in a little bit about Ireland as well. There's a few things about Ireland that's not very popularly known. Right. Uh, I the, it was some uh, of, uh, giving them independence or something along that line, yeah? Well, I think, I mean, Jeremy, again, he, he, he get the difference between Corbyn himself and the party, uh, the party that, he, that he heads and that Corbyn's actual platform for government represents, on the one hand, a very significant break with, with um, certainly the Labour Party, you know, most left platform that it's run on since... Uh, you know, the early 80s, since, you know, since 80, 83, and probably even more radical th- than that. But at the same time, it's not a total representation of, of Corbyn's politics. So, so for example, Corbyn has long been, a, you know, a, a, um, a supporter of Irish independence, yes. but I, I don't, that's not in, that's not in, that's not in, in, in the platform. Um, I mean, the question in, in Ireland um, is with the, you know, the six, counties is, uh, that has been discussed a bit is the fact that the Republican Party Sinn Féin don't take their seats because they don't uh, you know, they don't they, they vote in order, they, they stand in order to have an a uh, uh, to show the popular support for uh, you know, a, a united Ireland uh, and their position of, of, of a border poll to seek to resolve that but they don't take their seats because they don't see themselves as a British party and that has any place in Westminster and having opposed, always opposed uh, British interference in Ireland, they also believe it would be hypocritical for them to interfere in what they see as a foreign, as a foreign country. Um, so there's, I mean, that's sort of, you know, if, you know, come down to it if, you know, Sinn Féin's four or five, however many MPs they get, don't don't stand and they've, don't sit in Westminster. They have never said that they would. Um, you know, they've emphasised in this campaign that they that they won't, but that those seats could could hand Labor governments if they were willing to. Uh, I don't think they'd ever go into a coalition government. Sinn Féin has no desire to be be in government in the United Kingdom at mm, all. Absolutely, um, it would just be insane for them to do so. But they could, you know, vote if they were sitting. They could give certain votes to allow Corbyn to form. That that would obviously 
raise a lot of questions and be controversial, but I don't think Sinn Féin are going to change, change their position. They've had it for, you know, not right now, they've had it for 100 years. It would be a very big shift for them to, shift for them to do it. The other element that, that um, make, amuses me to a certain extent is despite the fact that these MPs within the Labour Party are so much against Corbyn and they want to declare, well, they, they virtually declared him unelectable for some time and that is the core of the campaign. But at the same time, if they don't get elected because of their campaign, um, they are the ones who are going to lose the seats. The internal contradictions are, are glaring. Um, I just wondered, you know, uh, how, how do you how do you unpick that? I just think these guys are crazy, you know, to 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 carry well, on the way they are politically. Well, I think that's you know a lot of them are subject to those contradictions, and I think a lot of them probably have been campaigning, not necessarily the hard right, left right, but the others probably have been campaigning, um, you know, genuinely to, to win. They would rather it under a different leader, but given this is the leader they got, they'll they'll. They'll do it for that reason. The problem, the big contradiction they got is they gambled by trying to. They just thought Corbyn would go when they all voted against him. Mm. He had a, 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 all the majority of parliament of parliamentarians from Labor passed that motion of no confidence that's last right. year, yeah. and that's, that's it. He was going to go. I mean, he had a very small vote, but but of course they don't understand that Corbyn is not playing by their rules. He yes. doesn't. Un, they don't understand his project is so different yeah. um, that he is committed to support. To, to, first of all, a beachhead for the left. He's not, going to, he's not going to walk away from it. Second of all, he's loyal to the members. Uh, and, of course, they were unable to win. And so having done that, um, then they were kind of left in a situation of running not just with a leader they don't like, but a leader that they have sabotaged, thinking that that would get them a leader that, that they like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I, and, I, and I think that in the wash-up, you know, most, you know, the, the right and probably even the, the more centre forces in the Labour Party, um, you know, they... You know, they, you know, they, they don't really want to win with Corbyn's, with Corbyn's platform. I mean, this is, uh, a, you know, a very radical platform, uh, compared to what, what's there at the moment. It, it, a lot of these, these things wouldn't have been remarkable 40 or 50 years ago, but they are remarkable. They are remarkable now. Uh, and it's quite clear that British capital don't want it and would sabotage it from, from day one. Uh, and I don't think that most Labour people, they're professional politicians, they've been up through the student movement, you know, it's like here, they go through the machine, yes. and they produce machine politicians, <laughs> they wouldn't even know, they wouldn't know how to, they wouldn't have the slightest clue what to do, the city of London didn't like them, you know, like they've got no idea how to respond, and no interest in, no interest in actually antagonising powerful, powerful interests. Well, I think one interesting thing that, um, you know, well, this is, a thing that's been kind of revealed um, since Corbyn got um, elected as um, the Labor leader is kind of like, you know, I think a comment here that, um, Stuart, you can definitely comment on is um, basically, you know, I think the the role of the kind of Blairite MPs is, you know, I think to really summarise their psychology, I think they're just really opportunists. Like, they just, they just blow, um, they just swing whatever, um, whatever the way the wind blows and um, it's quite telling that, you know, The Guardian um, has kind of been revealed for what it is um, for ever since Corbyn has been selected Leah. You know, for BBC, thank you. The, well, BBC has always been crap, but um, people have always had these illusions in, especially progressive left people in The Guardian and New Statesman, and those two publications have, since Corbyn's been selected Leah, been revealed absolutely for what they are. And even um, though what's interesting is within this election period, after, you know, 
basically crapping on Corbyn for like the past two years, the Guardian finally goes and says, "Oh yes, the election. Yes, vote Corbyn. Um, vote for Labor. Vote for the Labor Party." Although New Statesman is still kind of printing the same old anti-Corbyn stuff. Those printing a bit more pro-Corbyn stuff than it used to, but there was an article recently that said, oh, Corbyn is leading the Labour Party to the worst disaster in, in <laughs> history. <laughs> he should yeah, do a trump on them. <laughs> yeah, look, that's, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing also, that, you know, Corbyn has had to do this against the media, but it does indicate that the media and the, you know, the political class are, to some extent, are, are out of touch. Now, of course, it's a polarised situation. It's not simply that... Uh, all of this sort of displaced with the status quo is going to a very left project around Corbyn. It's, you know, it's also, I think, Theresa, yeah, Theresa May represents really the Brexit vote of, of reaction and the fact that it didn't do better than... It, it, it looks like it will do a lot worse than, than expected, mm. which is why she called the, the election. is of course, very, very heartening. Um, and it just, I think, does show that the, the political class are really out, out, of, out of touch. Uh, and the media are, are out of touch. So they, first of all, they wanted a combination of they thought their campaigns would make Corbyn unelectable and and um, make make Labor perform worse under Corbyn. Uh, but also, they probably just genuinely—they're so out of touch that they genuinely just thought there was no hope. There was no hope for any other any other course. Uh, and I think that you know, it was quite clear that ordinary people have have. Um, Responded extremely well, uh, and with an unbiased media, and with a Labour Party that was committed to court, to, to the, the platform uh, that it formerly has now, uh, and to the, the pro, to what its members voted for when they voted for Corbyn. If you had that, um, the elections would look very, very different again. I mean, I think I think it would be it would be a a much bigger vote for, for, for Labour if people were able to get it. And the only reason they were able to get this sort of unfiltered thing anyway was, was once the campaign started and you started to have the big rallies and the media started to, you know, for, were forced to report what Corbyn was actually saying, uh, particularly when Theresa May wasn't giving them anything. She was not turning up to the debates and uh, all, all of that. Once that starts to happen uh, and young people started to get a sense that if they were, if they actually did relate to politics this time, if they did actually, then, then maybe there was something on offer for them. Once that started to happen, then you have you know, the famous you know, Labor Labor surge um, that people talked about, where the polls went from atrocious to uh, looking much much closer and looking what what it appears from the exit polls, what the exit polls are indicating, which is um, Labor making gains and the Tories losing their majority. Just a quick question, um, Stuart. I know the unions had, uh, or at least quite a number of unions, had swung behind Corbyn, especially in Gold Country where Margaret Thatcher smashed the unions. What do you feel um, at this point in terms of, you know, did that increase? Um, Was there a widespread union support for Corbyn or were there too many right-wing unions? Well, again, I think the unions uh, are a bit like the, the... the Labour machine and things like the Guardian, even the right unions, campaigned for Corbyn. Uh, and one of the, but one of the things that is is interesting is some of the, the powerful unions, you know, Unite and some of the others uh, that were with Corbyn from the start. It, what the real story there, I think, is that they they never broke with Corbyn, even with the polling. And I think that really speaks to how urgently needed uh, the reforms that Corbyn stands for are. 
I mean, these are things because without them, the unions cannot rebuild. So, mm. for example, things like zero contracts, which he proposes to abolish. Yep. If, if you have zero contracts, you can't organise a workforce very easily. Uh, also, we'll get rid of anti-union laws. A whole series of things that will shift the balance back in favour of of working people to not necessarily to dramatically in and of themselves alter things, but just to give enough breathing space and enough democratic rights for working people that they themselves can organise and, and push back. And I think that explains why so many powerful unions, not just back Corbyn, but never broke with Corbyn, even when uh, the Parliamentary Labor Party and all the rest were breaking with, with Corbyn. And I think that even, the, you know, I don't think there's any... At the end of the day, you know, like a bit like sometimes the left will make a critical call of, well, we don't really like, um, you know, this this party, but the others are far worse, it will give a critical vote. I think you know, the, the more right-wing unions and the more, even the more, you know, right, it's why, why the Guardian at the end of the day still came out for Labor, um, they still just hate, you know, they, 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 this is a very, very hard right Tory government. Uh, the, the Tories, uh, this, these are people to the right of, of Thatcher quite noticeably. Yes. Uh, so obviously, it's, you know, even if they would prefer it wasn't Corbyn, they... You know, the alternative is to give power or to campaign for or to allow uh, forces that, you know, want to destroy them. Um, exactly. It's suicidal, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's interesting that, the, the you know, it always amuses me that these unions are suicidal in the main when they are so strongly supporting employers and politicians who, who support employers or the, or the capitalist forces um, without this, this consciousness that you are actually on a suicidal path here because you will have no members at the end like it's happening here. It's gone from 60% in the 70s, 80s to now, what, 18%, 20%, and it's something they don't seem to learn from. It always uh, amazes me now. Jacob wants to ask yeah. me something. Um, this, <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. Um, this is a question I want to ask. Is basically about, you know, because we know Britain is a very deeply kind of racist country. <laughs> um, and I kind of wanted to um, ask the question about, you know, what is the role that, you know, Islamophobia and racism has played in right. this sort of election, and ter- um, especially in terms of the recent terror attacks yes. that have happened in the UK? Um, well... Well, I think the the role of Islamophobia and racism was seen very strongly in the the Brexit vote, uh, and in particular what we then saw with effectively a a hard-right coup within the Tories, and the Tories essentially standing on and taking over the base and the the platform of the UK Independence Party. And we saw, I I imagine, that the the polls will, you know, the results will reflect a, a big drop in, in, in the, the vote for UKIP as it did in the, the council elections when the Tories just ate up their ate up their votes. Uh, and so I think that that I mean I think that even the Tories vote does go down. The fact that they they still remain the biggest party or the rest of it it's really unexplainable without racism because and without an appeal to sort of you know the legacy of imperial privilege even if no one feels that very much. Um, we do. That, we do in a third world. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, but I mean, like a pension that doesn't, you know, pension, I, know, you know, I, know. I mean, in that sense, um, <laughs> um, yeah, they may not feel very privileged, but they want to hold on to what privilege that they have, which is that they are above, the, you know, they feel that they are above the, above the third world. And that's probably why it's stronger with older people, because they, you know, they, they you know, they remember, they, you know, they remember that. I mean, the good old, the old days. Yeah, they remember the old, <laughs> even the old social democratic contract, yes. welfare state contract, was, was still based on Britain's imperial position. 
um, as you know, the, the post World War II settlement was was based on that. And as as, as Attlee, it's one of the things that was so exciting about about Corbyn was he he's always been an internationalist and an yes. anti-racist and an anti-imperialist. Mm. Whereas, for example, the Attlee government, which implemented a number of pro worker reforms at the same time, was trying to hold on to the remnants of British colonialism. That's right. Um, so, uh, yeah, and so those reforms were underpinned by Britain's imperial imperial position. So I think you can't ex- how, why would anyone vote Tory aside from a banker? Um, the I only know, answer, good the only, question. The only way you can explain it, <laughs> no, the only way you can explain it is that appeal to racism. And so I think this election you have, particular, and it's heightened by not just Brexit, but yeah, as, as was mentioned, the terror attacks really put it right up front. The two responses, do you have a response of hate, fear, racism, build up the walls, or do you have one more based on solidarity? Uh, and I think you know, in a very uneven, uneven way, um, there were you know certain compromises in this platform, in this the manifesto that step away from sort of Corbyn's traditional positions on, on some of this stuff, on, on um, some compromises on free movement uh, and and the like. But nonetheless, our platform was still way ahead of the of the Tories on on this, and, and anyone, and certainly of the Australian Labor Party on, on this question. Uh, so I think in terms of the act, so I think that you know in that. That, that plays into the elections and says, well, you know, okay, your life isn't very good. Who do you blame? Do you, do you actually blame the 1% and the political class who serve the 1% or do you blame, you know, your, your Muslim neighbour or, you know, a refugee from Syria who just wants, wants to live their life or, you know, someone who's, you know, from, from Eastern Europe who will get a, you know, like will actually have a better life there. Um, which response do you have? And so I think, that was definitely the, the election definitely occurs in that context. As to the actual impact of the terror attacks, I think it's so um, hard to tell. It would probably take a lot of un- unpacking. Uh, superficially, you would assume. I mean, I think probably people assumed, and you know, like I know my Facebook wall was filled. There's probably a lot of other people's were once when Manchester happened. Was well, that's it. That's the tour. You know, you know, that's that's it. The Tories are going to romp it in mm. uh, now. Uh, the fact that that hasn't happened um, is both heartening, but also I think it will take a bit to unpack. Um, would it have been the case that without that, the polls would have been even better for, for Labor? Uh, it's an unknowable thing, obviously. That's right. why I think we've got to be a bit careful and, and just, you know, which, but it is heartening that it hasn't led to it. You know, it hasn't led to the poll. The polls didn't seem to sh- indicate a shift back to the Tories after, after that, and that's quite a heartening quite a heartening thing. Yes, on that positive note, Stuart, let's wrap up this interview and thank you so much for being available so early in the morning to give such an <laughs> exciting interview. I've got all, I've woken up and been very, feeling yeah. excited <laughs> and hoping that Corbyn will win. But anyway, thanks um, a lot, um, Stuart. We'll talk no to you worries. again. Sure thing. After the okay. Bye. See ya. Bye. For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 
8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. support for a 3CR program during Radiothon? Well, you can call us on 9419 8377 or visit our website 3cr.org.au. You can also come into the station at 21 Smith Street Fitzroy during office hours and pay by cash, cheque or FPOS. Or simply post your cheque or money order to Post Office Box 1277 Collingwood 3066. And be sure to tell us which program you'd like your donation to go to. And thank you for being part of 3CR's Radio 4. The cooler children, and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas, and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. To say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Les Thomas there And that's amazing voice And a wonderful script um, Or lyric rather Okay, so that was um, A refreshing interview And a let's hope That something positive comes out of This um, UK elections and if you like the interview, if you're enjoying the program, I'm sure you're aware, if you're a regular listener, that this is Radiothon time coming up next week. And rest assured, if you want to contribute earlier, you're most welcome. And, of course, the number to ring is 94198377. And it'll be very, very helpful to the station to keep it going and of course in this day of so much fake news and so much right-wing news um, you listen to 3CR because it gives an alternative point of view so to keep that going we need money not a lot but it's still um, more than one person can contribute so collectively if everybody contributes a little bit we can keep the station on air for a long time to come and we've been on air for more than 40 years. We would like to keep going another 40 years, perhaps, or even more. So the number again, 
and this is Green Left Weekly Radio. Okay, two more news. Um, one one issue that hasn't been, by the way, to listeners, Jacob's just left. He's gone to work. <laughs> so I'm here by myself again. Um, back to the news. Uh, one of the issues that has been ignored by the mainstream media generally, maybe one or two has picked it up as a small item, but um, it's unfortunately again about war. And I'm sure you've heard about Syria all over the media, but... Um, Afghanistan hasn't been talked about much in the uh, media um, as, as an important issue, as usual, because the non-white community, when they die, is not of a huge consequence to many of the right-wing media. Um, it doesn't get reported as much. So here we go. This is what uh, Prime Minister Malcolm T- uh, Turnbull uh, did. He was the first of the coalition of the willing to declare he would support U.S. U.S. President Trump, Trump's request for more occupying troops in Afghanistan on the 30th of May. And I'm not sure how many, how widely people heard about that one. Um, so we have, so Sydney, Sydney's Stop the War Coalition op- opposes the Turnbull Coalition government's decision um, to tail end Mr. Trump. Afghanistan was never the good war. And its proponents have argued that Australia joined the U.S.-led coalition in 2001 ostensibly in retaliation for the terrorist attacks on the U.S. The invaders removed um, the Taliban from the government amid much human carnage and destruction. They then helped install, maintain a puppet government. And this is the legacy of, of the Western intervention in any of the, the countries around the world. And more than 90 countries are still involved in and have, have their um, armies or, or, or air force or, or maritime um, forces stationed there, as we know. Um, they always seem to be in favor of supporting dictators who support them not the people of that particular country, but the U.S. or the Western notion of government, which means supporting the West in whatever they do. And usually that ends up in the people of the country suffering and the U.S. gaining. Usually it's the U.S. or the capitalist class across the world gaining. So 16 years later, under a new warmongering president, the U.S. is again urging NATO to increase its troops, troop members to around 50,000. There are 8,400 U.S. troops in Afghanistan now and 13,450 NATO-led forces, including 270 Australian troops. And it's fair to ask, what are the Australian troops doing in Afghanistan? How are they going to instill peace by involving themselves in war? You cannot have a war-led peace. It's never been the history of the world. So the Labour Party agrees with sending 30 more trainers and advises a clear statement that it supports the permanent uh, war started in September 2001. Now, the Greens parliamentarian, to his um, credit, Richard Dinatale, has also called for all Australian troops to be withdrawn into an independent, non-aligned foreign policy. Afghan human rights activists such as Malalai 
Joya have repeatedly said the Western intervention and occupation is preventing the popular movements from taking up the political fight against the fundamentalists, she says. She said, given the opportunity, Afghan, Afghans would wholeheartedly, um, sorry, wholeheartedly reject uh, cronyism and fundamentalism in all its forms. And this has been demonstrated recently in, in Tehran, there was an explosion of a bomb. The Muslims are also being attacked by the Taliban. This, this, this is something the, the Western media doesn't seem to grasp. The Muslim community overall in the world are against the Taliban. And it's, the distinction goes amiss when the uh, whole religion is presented as the enemy of the Christians or non-Muslims, so to speak. So it, it is a very um, a simplistic analysis and portrayal of uh, the whole drama that's going on in terms of war and the way the Western nations support U.S. without question. So the United Nations reported in May that close to 600,000 Afghans have been forced to flee their homes so far this year, the highest number since 2008. So Australia should withdraw its support for permanent war and pull all troops out of Afghanistan. The war is fueling, fueling the rise of terrorist groups. So the more you attack them, the more they become radicalized, the more they want to defend their land, and they will fight back. Nationalism is going to come to the fore, and you will maintain the, the country in a state of war for a very long time if a punitive and a, and a um, war-related relationship is established on, on a basis the way it's going at the moment with, with Trump and other Western nations. Okay, so that's um, one other news. I'll do one more news before we, before we go to the, your, our local um, uh, calendar events. Now, I want to talk about this um, Connex thing in, in Sydney again. Um, in a recent poll, it's, it's called West Connex. I know it's not a huge relevance here, but it has implications here. Um, after all, we have fought the uh, East-West link before. Um, and there are arguments there that could be relevant for Victoria and, I guess, around the country. So, in recent public discussion, campaigners against West Connex, the huge motorway and tunnel project in Sydney, were challenged to sum up their case against West Connex in three sentences. So this is how it goes. Start with what the proponents of West Connex say will be the benefits of the project, then say what is wrong with it. That was the cue, the, the, the question posed to them. Okay, there were half a dozen um, Seasoned anti-Venex, uh, anti-Connex, it's a hard one to say, uh, activists in the room, and each came with much more than three sentences. The questioner responded, you are not going to move people like they did in Melbourne with such long answers. Um, so we had just watched um, the Tunnel Vision documentary about how people power killed Melbourne East-West Link, as I said before. So they they summed up, like this, West Connex will set back, not improve Sydney's transport system. It will increase population, including greenhouse emissions, carcinogens, and fine particulate matter, considered a serious health hazard by the World Health Organization. 
destroy homes and parklands, create more traffic chaos in surrounding communities, and transfer billions of dollars of public funds to corporate profits for decades. But what about a third sentence stating that and rebutting case put forward by the proponents of Westconnex? So in official documents, the, the purpose of Westconnex is to link Sydney's west and southwest with Sydney airports and port botany precincts. However, as the proponents pointed out in the second, 22nd of May meeting with the community activists, it does not do that. Sydney's Lord Mayor Clover Moore said that the meeting, at the meeting, what's clear is that the current design don't serve its original purpose and now proposes to deliver trucks to St. Peter's um, interchange seven kilometres from Botany, Port Botany, as well as 61,000 vehicles through city residential neighbourhoods to the CBD, the nation's most critical globe, global centre. It will also cause major gridlock in the Anzac and Harbour bridges. The whole premise of the government's current arguments that Westconnex will reduce congestion for people in Western Sydney is a lie. So, the 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 article goes on for it's a lengthy article actually and gives gives you lots of details. And I guess it's we learn from each other's experiences and certainly use those lessons to prevent um, similar things happening here. Now. I want to go on to the calendar. It's uh, 8 o'clock. Let's go to a quick announcement. Then we can have the uh, uh, calendar events. I'm Tash Sultana, and you are listening to 3CR. Please subscribe. Do yourselves a massive favour. Thank you very much. For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Are you concerned about the growing threat of nuclear weapons? Join the Women's March to Ban the Bomb on the 17th of June in cities across Australia. It's women-led but inclusive of all. Go to womenbanthebomb.org for details. Voice your support for the UN negotiations now underway on a treaty to outlaw nuclear weapons and protest against Australia's shameful boycott of these historic talks. 17th of June, womenbanthebomb.org. The International Campaign to Abolish Nuclear Weapons Australia is a 3CR supporter. Okay, welcome back to Green Life Weekly Radio or Friday Breakfast. Um, and we are moving into the regular 
item of the activist calendar. So let's go with a couple of um, prominent um, events coming up. On June the 17th, that's Saturday week, um, is it Saturday week? Yeah, I think so. Um, there is a comedy debate organized by Green Left Weekly titled Fake News is Better Than Real News. And this is the MC for the, um, this event is Rod Quantock, our very own Rod Quantock, who supports 3CR. And there's uh, Sean Bedlam, Pauline Fartson, Gabe Ho- uh, Hogan, Shirley Hood, Kirsty Mack, and Morven Smith. Um, a dinner from 6.30, and this is not included in the entry, of course. And um, it's at the Brunswick Town Hall, corner of City Road and Dawson Street. Tickets are $50 solidarity, 30 regular, 22 low wage, and 15 concession. So if you want to book, you can go to Try Booking. Um, it's all the W's dot trybooking.com, backward slash, Q-A-E-N in capital letters. Uh, the rest is in uh, lowercasing. Or you can call 96398622. It's also available on Facebook. The next important event, a very important event, Radiothon, of course, 3CR. Our target this year is $220,000. We certainly hope you will come to the party and support this radio that presents you with alternative news. Um, it's run by volunteers, and we put a lot of effort into preparing for the programs, coming in, uh, t- conducting interviews, and so on. And it it will be very helpful if people pay some money towards maintaining the station. And, and most of you who are regulars would know that any donations over $2 is tax-free. So it's Radio for Change is the title for this year's um, Radiothon. It aims to capture the global mood of resistance, and we have done that for more than 40 years. Keep us going for another 40 years or more. So donate. Call 94198377. Now another major event coming up, and we'll talk about that in another 10 minutes or so, or 4 minutes, is the Democracy and Feminism and Diversity. Uh, diversity, sorry, the radical alternative in northern Syria. Now, this is going to be an interesting conference. It's now called the Democratic Federation of North Syria, used to be called Rojava. So there's a conference happening on the 30th of June, starting at 7 p.m. as an evening event, and it goes on to the the, the next day, which is the 1st of July. It'll be um, the Saturday, so Friday evening through to Saturday, July, um, Friday, Saturday, July 1st, Saturday, so it's like a 24-hour thing, basically. Um, so it's, it was going to talk about popular democracy, federalism, and decentralization. And we'll hear more about it from Dave Holmes, who I will interview in a few minutes. Now, what are the other events coming up immediately? There are lots happening on the 18th of June, and oh, until the 18th of June. Our radiothon is from next week to the 18th of June. 8th of June. There is a limit to climate change. Stop, hashtag stop Adani. Join us to remind the Commonwealth Board meeting on the 13th of June that a responsible corporate policy on climate change um, is necessary to preserve a livable climate for the future. So I guess um, Alan Finkel's uh, report adds to that. Um, the Commonwealth Bank at 10 a.m. on 224. Carlisle Street, Balaclava, and that's on the 8th of June. 
Um, on the same day, there's a rally, Restore Residence Rights, presented by Professor Michael Buxton from RMIT in opposition to Plan Melbourne 2017-2050 to that removes residence rights to object to development. It's at 1 p.m., Parliament House, Spring Street, the city. The 9th of June, um, we have a stop Adani at Combank Fairfield. Join the Deacons Climate Chorus to give the Combank a clear message that they should not be financing mega Adani coal mine. Um, singing practice half hour earlier at Fido opposite the bank at 10 a.m. Um, 74 Station Street, Fairfield. is hosted by the Darabin Climate Action Now. So it's the 9th of June, a Friday. Stop Adani at the Combank at Fairfield. 10th of jo- uh, June, uh, Bart Willoughby in concert, reggae, rock and hip-hop, 8.30, Reverence Hotel, 28 Napier Street, Footscray. 11th of June, a film, I, Daniel Blake, um, Ken Loke's um, acclaimed film about life on welfare. 1 p.m., Unitarian Peace Church, 110 uh, Gray Street, East Melbourne. A gold coin donation. All proceeds will go to the Australian Unemployed Workers Union. Next event. Screen on the same day. That's 11th of June. Film screening. Guarding the Galilee. 70-minute documentary on the battle to stop the biggest coal mine in Australian history. That's the Adani Carmichael Project. It's on at 5.30. Academy of Scuba. 1124 Turak Road, Camberwell. 13th of June, Thursday to the 3rd, 3rd of August. Um, film screening, Citizen Jane, Battle for the City. The inspiring tale of Jane Jacobs, author, mother and citizen activist, Acme, Federation Square City. So I will leave it there for now because we are running out of time and have a Maybe I'll come back to it if I have time after the interview. Okay, so a couple of um, announcements before I get the um, interview online. For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Like some food for thought? Tune in to Radical Philosophy with discussions on freedom, happiness, knowledge, evil and rational argument. With words from Hawthorne, Patman, Jenkins, Hutchinson, Hirsi Ali and Plumwood. 
So tune in to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial. On Thursday afternoon from 3.30 until 4 o'clock. And let's get radical about philosophy. I'll put you on hold. You go and do whatever you have to do and then come back. you got to remember, Nainop's a special day for us, fellas. That's a reminder who we are. Every year for Nainop Week, 3CR Community Radio gives voice to our Indigenous brothers and sisters through Beyond the Bars, Australia's only live prison broadcast. I am a black, black man. Nainop means a lot to me. It's about identity and also about past and present. Nainop means a lot to me. For my family and my people. And the people forgetting about our rights. You can access audio from current and past Beyond the Bars broadcasts via the 3CR website. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash Beyond the Bars and either listen to or download audio from Australia's only live prison broadcasts. Happy night off! For progressive people around the world, it's been a hard start to the year. Trump is rolling out his racist agenda, inspiring increased racial, religious and gender-based hatred across the globe. It really is time to rally together to fight for a better world. There is power in numbers and there is power in independent, community-run media. Join the swelling number of people fighting back by becoming a member of your radical activist radio station. Show us your love and subscribe to 3CR. Call us on 9419 8377 or pay online 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe. Oh, let's see if Dave Holmes is online. Dave, you there? Hello. Lolly. Yep. Good morning, Dave. Sorry, <laughs> you had forgotten about it, eh? <laughs> yeah, it's all right. That's all right. Okay. Um, now, um, you wanted to talk about the Rojava Revolution in northern Syria. That's right. We've got a uh, uh, a conference coming up at the um, uh, end of the month. That is, we've got a public meeting on. Friday, um, 30th of June. June 30, and then we've got an all-day conference on the following Saturday, that's July 1, at the city campus of Victoria University. And uh, as you may know, the uh, things are coming to a critical point in northern Syria. Uh, the um, Syrian Democratic Forces, which includes the uh, Kurdish YPG and YPJ, the Women's Army, along with Arab uh, uh, allies. Uh, besieging Raqqa, the Islamic State capital, uh, with American uh, backing. And uh, I would say within a few months, um, Raqqa will have uh, fallen. And this uh, in the light of that, all the forces uh, at play in, in northern Syria are jockeying for position. Uh, the alliance with the Americans um, is 
purely tactical. Uh, the Americans want the uh, the SDF as allies, but they have no particular interest in beyond that in underwriting uh, the social uh, experiment that's going on um, in uh, northern Syria, where they're making enormous efforts to set up uh, a radical commune-style democracy on the ground in the various uh, towns and villages and cities. Mm. Dave, just, just to, to intervene there, um, you're from the Australians for Kurdistan group, and right, the yeah. conference is being supported by or sponsored by um, the um, Kurdish Democratic Community Centre, and it's also organised by the Honorary Professor John Tully from the VU. Um, and I'm just wondering, what is the actual aim of the conference? Because from what I've noticed, not many people actually know about this, this thing in, 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 that's happening in Kurdistan. We hear well, about... That's one of the aims, is, is to uh, get out information, um, to uh, uh, make sure there's a greater awareness of what's going on and uh, also to build solidarity with it. I mean... For all the that northern Syria is a vastly different uh, to say Australia, um, it's what what is being done there is uh, absolutely inspiring. In, in the face of all the adversity, the, the, the under threat from Turkey, from the Islamic State, from the Assad dictatorship forces, they are trying to carry out a social revolution. Um, to set up this uh, commune-style democracy based on local grassroots assemblies. They're making absolutely unprecedented efforts to involve women. Um, For example, no laws affecting women can be made um, uh, except by uh, uh, women. Um, They make sure that every institution and uh, body has... uh, uh, must have a female co-chair, uh, and uh, they're also uh, taking efforts uh, to address the very severe ecological issues. So this this is this is quite amazing, and I think it it, it deserves to be much better known. And we hope the conference can. Um, push things along uh, considerably in that regard. The little we, ha- we hear about um, the Kurdish community, which is divided into four different countries, it's Iraq, Syria, um, Iran, and I always forget the fourth one, uh, Turkey. Um, the, the, the American forces who are fighting there, or the coalition supposedly of the willing who are fighting there, um, the, you only hear about it where the YPG has made some sort of um, compromise with the U.S. to fight the Taliban. Tell us a little bit more about that, because that is an interesting strategy used by the YPG from the Kurdish community in northern Syria. Uh, well, they're, 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 as I say, they're, 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 under, they're under threat uh, from, from all sides. But there's, 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 a, there's been a tactical coming together with the United States. I mean, the United States is historically sold out the Kurds uh, everywhere. Um, they've, for example, Turkey, where the large uh, Kurdish community is uh, treated as second-class citizens uh, by the regime and so on, and that's been the case for decades. Uh, the United States has never done anything 
Turkey's a major ally in Iraq. Um, they encouraged the Kurds to rise up against Saddam Hussein and then did, stood by while while he crushed them. Uh, but in in northern Syria, the Americans need, if they want to defeat the Islamic State, and they do, um, they need uh, Kurdish assistance. So there's been a coming together there, but no one, uh, I'm sure the Kurdish leadership has no illusions about the longevity of this alliance or the uh, the depth of it. The United States is not going to underwrite uh, what's effectively an experiment in building people's power. That's not going to happen. Mm. Right now they need them and so that's, it, it's happening now, but it's, it's purely limited. Now, you're having some um, interviews or, or contributions by uh, people from, um, from um, the uh, Kurdish community or experts in the Kurdish community. Uh, are you Skyping them in because they, you had... Uh, yes, we, 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 we originally had ideas. We uh, invite a, a number of overseas guests, but the way it's worked out, it's with visa issues and also just personal issues. It's uh, the international participation is going to be by video link. So we've got uh, Salah Muslim, who is based in Belgium. He is the uh, most prominent leader of the People's uh, Democratic, or the Democratic Union Party, the PYD, which is the main uh, party in uh uh, the Northern Kurdish Syria. Uh, community yep. in northern Syria. He'll be he'll be speaking at the public meeting on Friday night, and also at the uh, uh, first plenary session on Saturday morning, uh, called towards the new Syria. Uh, we've also got Horjan Aziz, who's an Australian uh, Kurdish activist, who's uh, a leading figure in the Kobani Reconstruction Board, the, the body that's uh, charged with leading the reconstruction of the city. And she's uh, in Kobani, and she'll be speaking. She's got a, a plenary session on basically explaining what is happening on the ground in the uh, Kurdish communities in northern Syria, the, the uh, democratic uh, advances, how the economy is being run, how the other communities, Arabs, uh, Armenians and so on are involved in this process. So she'll be speaking from Kobani. And we've also uh, got uh, Urjan Aboga, who's a Kurdish ecologist, uh, originally from Turkey, but he's in exile in Germany and very active. Uh, and he will be speaking on all the ecological problems that the, the region faces and what the liberation forces in northern Syria, how they're responding to this. So that, that that uh, will be fascinating. Then we've got a number of um, workshops uh, with um, activists here in, in, in Australia speaking. We've got one on what's going on in Turkey, because Turkey, of course, is a, it's got a dictatorship there, and they're the major backers of the Islamic State, or they have been, uh, and they're, you know, rapidly anti anti Kurd. Mm. Of course. And um, so thanks, um, Dave. We're going to finish up there. Time's moving on. So the, the conference is, starts on the evening of Friday, the 30th of June at 7 p.m. at the Victoria University campus, the 300 Flinders Street, Melbourne. That's right. And you can, uh, if you go to our website, Australians for Curtison, you'll see all the details of how to... Uh 
to get yeah, and the bookings on um, all the W's trybooking.com and in uppercasing P W T Z. Okay, thank you very much. Um, Thanks, Riley. Okay, bye. Bye. Okay, so we have come to the end of the program. Um, if you've missed any part of it, uh, be assured it'll be on podcast. It's also available on the web. Um, and thanks to Stuart uh, Moncton, who was a- available so early in the morning to talk about the British elections, and we will catch up with more of it at a later stage. Um, thanks to Dave Holmes from the Australians for Kurdistan to talk about the um, Rojava Revolution conference coming up. So I hope you enjoyed the program, and good morning, and I hope you have a good day. This brings us to the end of the show. You have been listening to Friday Morning Breakfast with Green Left Radio, brought to you by the Green Left Weekly Newspaper, which provides a weekly source of alternative information which aims to inspire action to put people and the environment first. If you would like to subscribe to the newspaper and get it delivered to your door, you can do so by visiting the website at greenleft.org.au or call 1800 For new subscribers, it is only $10 for the first six issues. Repeats of the show and interviews are podcasts on our homepage on the 3CR website. Thank you for listening. You are tuned into 3CR Community Radio, 855 Digital on the AM dial and streaming live on 3cr.org.au. To start sometime, what better place than here? What better time than now?